We're going to be jumping around in the Bible as we've been doing all series long, but you can start out in your Bible by turning to Psalm 127, Psalm 127, and let's pray together. Dear God in heaven, we're thankful to gather here, we're thankful to sing these songs in your name and rejoice in you and your creation and and in the redemption that you provide for us through Christ Jesus, and we rejoice in the place in your family that we uh, possess through Christ Jesus. It is a, a family of joy, of fellowship, of correction and um, confession, and also great comfort. And we are thankful to be members of it. And I pray tonight, as we discuss the skill of relationships and families, that you would draw our hearts to you and draw our hearts to your way. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, and isn't in Christ Jesus, but is only looking forward to your judgment, I pray that tonight even would be the day that they, um, in realization and recognition of their sin, come to you and come to Christ to find mercy and grace. We pray this in in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was clickbait. And you know what clickbait is. It's just totally a title that's meant to make you click on the article so that uh, the website can instantly download thousands of viruses onto your computer. And I knew it was clickbait, uh, but I clicked anyway. Uh, because, well, it was Tim Challey, so how many viruses could I get from Challies.com? I thought to myself. And I was pleasantly surprised to realize that he recognized that he was doing clickbait himself. But it was a really interesting title, and it got me to thinking a little bit about the message tonight. His title was this, if Satan took up marriage counseling, if Satan decided to start a profession in marriage counseling, what kind of counsel would he give? This was just an article just this last week, and it was very interesting. What would Satan counsel married couples to do? How would he want them to think, and what would he want them to believe? Uh, Charlie says this, he'd want people to believe marriage is our invention. It's our, it's, it's humanity's invention. It's made up by us. It's probably particularly made up by men who want to dominate women. Marriage is our invention, and it can be discarded if it's proven to be harmful or offensive. Or perhaps Satan would want people to believe that marriage offers no benefits to you that can't be found in singleness. You can get all of the same things from a single dating relationship, cohabitation, or serial monogamy. Yeah, you could do all of those things. You don't need marriage to get all of the benefits of marriage. That's what Satan would want you to know. Or he would want people to believe that marriage is really just about self-fulfillment. It's, it's all about what can I get out of this relationship. I'm choosing someone to marry who's going to give me the most fulfillment. That's what Satan would want. He would also want people to believe that marriage is actually a threat to you, to your, to your life goals, to your purposes, and you should postpone it as long as possible because it's going to get in the way of all the things that you need to do to feel satisfied and fulfilled. He, he wants you to believe that marriage is a place where friendship with the guy goes to die, where, where, where enjoying a relationship does not happen. 
He, he wants you to believe about marriage that marriage is also the place where, where sex goes to die, where the true joy in a, in a sexual relationship is outside marriage. But marriage is where it totally loses all of its charm, all of its satisfaction as well. He wants you to believe that children are a hindrance to your happiness and they should be, they should be avoided at all costs. Or you should be bitter at them or resentful for their presence. He wants you to insist that your problems can only be solved when the other person comes to you first and first confesses their wrongs. That's what he wants you to do. And he wants you ultimately to focus on all of the the downsides, the hard points, the griefs, the agonies of marriage, and never think about the joys. Now, Now, why would Satan want to counsel people this way? Why would he take up marriage counseling this way? Because he doesn't want you to believe any of the things that God tells you about marriage. God actually says marriage is a great place of joy, a great place of satisfaction, a great place of fulfillment, but the devil does not want you to believe that. Marriage is God's design. It's the the creation of, of of one man and one woman into one family unit, the basic building block of society, and it is God's design, and it is God's way of joy and satisfaction and happiness, and Satan wants you to not believe any of that. But that whole article got me thinking about what would Satan want you as a child in a family to believe and think about being in your family. How would he counsel you if you came to him with all of your problems and all of your family discouragements? How would he want you to think about your family? He would probably want you to think this way. He would want you to think that that my family is a total headache and a total pain in my life. He would want you to think about your family that my family is a waste of my time. I can't wait until I grow up and get out of here because this whole family thing, being in this family and being under my parents' roof, is doing me no good. He would want you to think that your family is so embarrassing all the time and you can't stand being with them in public. That's how he'd want you to think about your family. He'd want you to think that your family is the last place you want to look for friends. He would want you to be ashamed of your family, to be, be, be afraid to be seen with your family. You don't want to choose friends there. You don't even want to uh, be seen among them. You, he would also want you to believe that your family is getting in the way of your personality, that your family is getting in the way of your satisfaction, that your family is getting in the way of your personal achievements, that your family is getting in the way of your future and your hopes and your dreams. Your family is slowing that all down and hindering that. That's what the devil would want you to actually think about your family. Now, some of you maybe are like, oh, no, that's how I think about my family, or at least one of those points. Satan would counsel you that way because, you know why he would counsel you that way? He knows the power and the importance of your family to your life. And not just to today, but also to who you will become and who you will be. And he says to himself, if I can think, if I can make you think selfishly about your life and your family today, then I will easily be able to make you think selfishly about your future life and your future family when when you're married. And guess what? I'll destroy both families. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to destroy God's design for you. 
Tonight I want to tell you, or just kind of talk, talk to you a little bit about why God has given you a family. I want to talk about why God has given you a family. And by family, I mean a dad and a mom. Maybe, maybe you don't have both of those things, but whatever that is for you, uh, a dad and a mom in the home taking care of you and siblings that come from that marriage relationship. That's the immediate family. That's what I'm talking about. But primarily uh, the family as it is led by a parent and primarily by a father. That's the kind of family I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about why God has given you your family. I'm not talking about a big extended family. We're not talking about that. I'm just talking about your tight-knit family. Why has God given you your family? A reason number one, God gives family for our shade. God gives family for shade. Or you could think of it as protection or a block or a wall. But God gives family for shade. Maybe you think you can do without your family. Maybe you think you'd do much better on your own. I'm basically on my own already. I could do so much better without my family. But I would suggest to you that that is a bit of an arrogant statement. And that is an ignorant statement as well. That's not actually looking at what the Bible says about your family. God gives family for, get this, mercy and strength in your life. God gives you family so that you can experience mercy. This is one of God's common graces. It's It's in a family. You receive mercy and strength. Even in a perfect world where there was no sin, no wrong, we already talked about this in Genesis 2.18, God looked at a man alone and he said, it is not good for a man to be alone. A family is there to give you something that you need. It's, you could say, companionship, it's help, it's strength. And what I want to talk to you about is a shield. Uh, For example, if you're in... Um, Psalm 127, Psalm 127, notice the strength that a family provides. Notice the, the strength that comes to someone who has a family in their life. We'll read uh, Psalm 127, verses 3, um, 4, and 5. Behold, children are an inheritance of Yahweh. The womb, the fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now you're probably saying that's talking about parents. But don't you see there's this strength about a family? The, the, the head of a home has strength in the numbers of his kids, and his kids have strength together under the head of their home. There is weakness in isolation. For one, because you're, you're isolated from a right view of yourself, as we saw a couple weeks ago. But there's, there's also just plain weakness, too. You are weak when you are alone. And we actually heard about this at Winter Retreat when we were talking about Ecclesiastes, right? Alliances help you. They're, they give you strength against oppression. They give you strength against uh, competition, Especially in a fallen world and a frustrating world, being together with people gives you strength. And, and yeah, you have lots of communities for this, but, but God gives you a close-knit community, a 24-7 family to help you and give you strength. Are, are you someone who isolates yourself from all? From everyone, from, from your family, especially if you, if you like to think of yourself as kind of a self-made man or a self-made woman, I can do it on my own. Well, watch out, 
because the world is eager to take advantage of people like you. They're eager to take advantage. But alliances help, Ecclesiastes 4 tells us. Uh, parents especially uh, are, are supposed to be a protection to their kids. They, also, they, they protect their kids from making a costly and a dangerous mistake. They, they protect you from living a shameful life and a foolish life, a short life and a hard life. You probably are familiar with this, but turn over to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6.1. It says, it says this, children, Paul says to children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3, so that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Notice, honoring your parents is a bit of a refuge. It's kind of the secret to life. Do you want to live a short life and a hard life? Dishonor and disobey. Do you want to live a long life and a happy life? Learn to honor and obey. That's, that's God's word. It's very simple to children, right? You need to learn to honor and obey your parents. Your parents, it seems, are on a rescue mission, actually, to save you from making all sorts of painful, lifelong mistakes. They, they are to help you live a long life and a happy life, right? That's what he says in verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Parents are a blessed source of rescue to the children who honor and obey them. But think about it this way, and this was another thought I had about uh, a family providing shade. A, a family is, is a shade in a, in a desert, in a desert out there of relationships. A family provides actual relationships that are true, that are sincere, that are committed. They, they have to be together. You can't get rid of your family. They will be loyal to you. They will be committed to you. I talked about this a while ago, but remember the definition of a true friend. Someone who knows enough to destroy you, but doesn't. That's a true friend. How are your parents not on like the top of that list? They could destroy you, but they don't. Your parents might be the best friends you have on the planet. Uh, they could ruin your reputation, but they don't. And, and also, parents, did you know this? They're willing. This is another sign of a true friend. They're willing to risk their relationship with you in order to tell you the truth. That's a true friend. That's a true friend. And, and you have this companionship. You have this loyalty built in. I, I love being in a family. I love it. You don't have to pretend in a family. Nobody's fooled by you in a family. Everybody knows who you are. Everybody knows what you look like without makeup. And everybody knows how pathetic you are in the morning. Everybody knows. And they still love you and they still are committed to you. And there's a comfort and there's a joy in that, right? A true brother, a real sister won't be a misty friend. I mean, in theory, they won't be, right? They won't leave you or desert you. They know you in your weaknesses and they still Love you. Even after all of your weaknesses are revealed, in fact, they still will be there. For one, because they're not surprised by any of them, because they knew them the whole entire time. You just didn't. I love Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I mean, you, you are wasting your time if you're ignoring, perhaps, really great friendships in your family, when you're all, all over the place looking for friends, when great friends could be found right at home. They won't be misty friends, in other words. They'll tell you the truth. 
Why? Because they have to live with you, and they don't want to watch you ruin your life. Families can be a great place for friendships, committed friendships. In a world of mist, you could say, well, why else does God give us family? Here's another reason. God gives family for training. God gives family for training. This is most likely where you thought it was going, and so here we are. Your, your, your parents' responsibility, but primarily your father's responsibility is to train. You see that in Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I love that. I, I actually really love how clear the New Testament is to families. Actually, children just have this one call on their life to obey their parents, and as a matter of fact, parents, their job is really simple. They are to teach them and instruct them in the fear of the Lord. That's what parents are supposed to do. As a matter of fact, the New Testament is so brief on parenting, you'd think such an important thing like child raising would be covered a lot more in the New Testament, but it's brief. Why is it brief? Because everything that needs to be said has already been said in God's manual on parenting, which is the book of Proverbs. But that's what Paul's basically Jumping on, and, and I actually really like it when you evaluate the parenting style in Proverbs. You know what you see? You, you actually see, you see the parents talking a lot to their kids, but you see the father talking the most to their kids. It says in, in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, um, these words which I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall speak to them when they sit in your house and when they walk in the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up. And, and the, the parent's whole life is to be teaching and to be instructing you. Matter of fact, in Proverbs 6, 20 through 21, this is what a father says to his son. He says, my son, observe the commandments of your father. And do not forsake or abandon the law of your mother. And then notice what he says. Bind them upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. The father is saying, let my instruction hang on you. Let it be so close to you that you can't leave it. That it's going with you wherever you go. My words have filled your mind and your heart and they're always with you. That is what a, a father and parents are supposed to do. They are supposed to be instructors of their kids. The child's role is to have a heart that is continually open, willing to hear, willing to obey. But the parent's role is to train. Now, maybe perhaps you're saying, I, should I really be so influenced by so flawed individuals as my parents? I'm not sure if I should bind the words of my parents around my heart and around my neck. I'm not sure if that would be a good thing. Well, for one thing, parents... Uh, who seek to honor God speak to you in a way that is completely and should be fully influenced by the word of God, right? They speak words to you that should be filled with the word of God. Yes, their goal should be the same as God's goals, and that is to grow you in the fear of the Lord, that is to grow you in spiritual maturity so that you're no longer a fool. They are to also protect you from painful ways. They are to tell you to avoid this and avoid that and help you grow in your maturity. Parents are supposed to do that. But even if your parents are flawed, they still are wiser than you and they still can give you counsel and the rule of the Lord still applies to them. You are to learn to honor and obey them. 
They have still been given to you, even in their imperfect state, to help train you, to help grow you, to help mature you. Even unbelievers can help you grow. Matter of fact, one of the most important things that you need to learn is to honor and obey. That's really the most important thing you need to learn. Because if you, if you are a rebel against God, it is because you are also a rebel against your parents. If, if you are a rebel against your parents, you are just going to be a rebel against God. But if you humble yourself under your parents, that means you're truly humbling yourself under the Lord. And, and parents are God's way of directing you to God, to, to remind you that you are, not, you are not the head, the only person in your life, that you have to submit to someone else. And ultimately, that someone else is the Lord. That's the reason why God gives you parents as well. He gives you parents for training. But here's another reason that God gives parents. God gives uh, family parents particularly for rescue. God gives you family for your rescue. Beware of the trap that a lot of good kids like you might fall into. You might really like that part about how a family is a shade and a shield to you. You may, you may say to yourself, get that ugly, evil, Christ-hating world out of here. I am so glad that I have parents and family who protect me from all of that. That's a good thing. But, but the, the, the trap in that statement is the very last thing. I am now safe from evil because my family is a shade to me. Beware of the trap of thinking, hey, just because I'm in a good family who wants to protect me from the evils of this world, I am safe from evil. Why do you think the world is so dangerous? Why is it that shade from a family is so precious? Well, it's because your evil heart, by nature, is naturally drawn to the evil things of this world. That's why a family is such a blessed thing to have a family shade you from the evil of this world. Because if given the chance, you'd run for it. Family is a blessing, no doubt, not only, though, because of what it protects you from, but also what it exposes you to. Families particularly parents, are God's gift to you to expose the evil in your heart that willingly wants to go after sin. Listen to Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. It says this, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Now the word bound is familiar if you were paying attention. If, if you remember Proverbs 6, 20 through 21, remember what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to bind God's word on your heart. You're, you're supposed to bind your parents' instruction as, as inspired by God's word on your heart. That's the goal. That's the desire. But how do you start in life? You start with something else bound up around your heart. You have something else going with you wherever you go. You have something else filling your mind in everything that you're doing. What is that? It is folly. It is foolishness. Corruption. You are already evil and bent towards evil. The only thing that drives folly away is called the rod of discipline. You already have something bound up on your heart. That's why you need parents to lovingly rebuke you, correct you, and drive folly far away from your heart so that your heart is ready to receive godly instruction. By the way, where does folly lead you? Where does a heart bound up in folly 
bring you. Here's some verses. I'll just kind of tell you what it is and tell you the reference, right? It leads you to becoming insolent. It leads you to become abusive. And it leads you ultimately to become humiliated in life. That's what a folly heart brings. That's Proverbs 19.26. It brings vexation and bitterness to others. Proverbs 17.25. The one who ignores rebuke is a fool, and that person basically thinks that they don't need to follow any of the stop signs in life. Folly means you think none of the rules apply to you. And you result in never-ending shame. That's Proverbs 13.1. Or how about my favorite verse to read with my family? In the ESV, LSB changed it. Proverbs 21, or sorry, 12, 1, which says, the fool is stupid. It was just life-changing to my family. This was the most important parental moment in my, my, in my young children's life, to hear these words come from the Bible. It says this in the ESV in Proverbs 12, 1, he who hates reproof is stupid. You'll be stupid, and everybody around you will know you're stupid. But because they'll probably be misty friends, they won't tell you about it. The fool is stupid. Essentially, you will have a hard life and a short life. That is someone who has a heart bound in folly. See how all this connects? Your family is a great source of mercy, a great source of strength to you. They provide strength. They, they provide comfort in your weakness when you're lonely. They provide committed relationships. They shape, grow, mature, train you. But they also confront and they rescue you from yourself so that you can be trained, so that you can enjoy true, lasting shade from the evils of this world. Matter of fact, if you're still in Ephesians 6, look at this. Ephesians 6, 4, instruction to the fathers, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Look at the blessing of a father of parental discipline in your life. It's kind of interesting, right? We, we, we always say that, oh, the father has to be careful not to provoke their children to wrath. But did you ever realize what that verse is saying? How does a father provoke his children to wrath? It says this, right? It says, uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But that means this is a contrast that he's about to say. Instead of provoking them to anger, do this. What do you do instead? You bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Notice, the father who doesn't discipline, the father who doesn't give instruction, the father who doesn't teach, the father who doesn't rebuke, ultimately provokes you to wrath. Now, that could also mean the father that gives rules that are inconsistent, for sure. But, but notice, the father who does not instruct and rebuke and teach and discipline his children just allows them to go after sin, the foolishness of their heart. But what a blessing a true father and a true mother who loves Jesus enough to rebuke you can be. It's a source of rescue. It's a source of rescue. Another reason why... God gives you family. God gives you family for proof. God gives you family for proof. What do you need proof of? Well, proof is important when you have to prove something that's important. <laughs> proof is important, right? The other day, uh, we brought our, our rental car back, and we filled up the gas can of the car, but we never left the receipt, I guess, 
on the car seat. I'm not sure what they were expecting of us, but we get into the plane. We get all the way back to California, and the rental car company calls us up, and they says, uh, you never filled up the gas. Therefore, you owe us $200 because that's how much gas costs. Nowhere. <laughs> we need proof that you paid for gas. And, of course, we were able to find some proof on our uh, bank statement. But it was very significant to have a receipt or proof or something. Otherwise, we're going to get charged for something. You need proof to prove something happened. Otherwise, you don't have it. Well, what do you really need proof of as a person? Well, there, there was two things that I was thinking of that you really want proof for, and this is what your family brings. You, first off, you want proof of a real and genuine faith. You want proof of a real and genuine faith, and your family proves your faith. Your family shows if, if you're the real deal. Uh, one, one example, if, if you seek to follow the Lord in obedience, in baptism, you come to me and you, you share your testimony with me, and, and I want to see some proof. I want to see some receipts. Does this individual know the gospel? Does this individual know what baptism isn't? It's not actually saving you. Baptism isn't doing that. Does this individual understand the gospel? Does, it, does this individual understand what baptism truly is and truly isn't? And then also, uh, does this individual have proof? And, and what I mean by proof is, can their parents confirm that truly they have been genuinely saved? Do they bring proof? Because how you live with your family is the real you. That's the true spiritual heart that is controlling you. Turn over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. Look at this. Look at this, how... how how your family exposes what's really going on in your spiritual life. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, if, if, if he's giving instructions about widows here, and, and, and the idea is, hey, if a widow has a family member who can take care of her, she shouldn't be a burden to the church. And then notice what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Notice how you care about your family reveals the true nature of your spiritual heart. As a matter of fact, this makes you worse than an unbeliever. Even unbelievers care for their family. This is proof positive that you're not a believer if you do not care for your family and you're the, the leader of your family, if you do not take care of those in need. You, you can't claim to love God whom you haven't seen and not love the ones who you do see that are in your house. You, you can't love God and dislike or hate your brother or sister. There's a few reasons for that, because God changes your heart to love people, but also because you recognize these people, these people that are called my family, have been given to me by God for so many great and glorious purposes, and I'm going to love them because they are gifts from God. You can't claim to love God, who you don't know, Well, you don't love your family, who you do see, for sure. Turn over to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, this is striking. Colossians 3, verse 20 Paul gives a parallel list to Ephesians 6. It's a little bit shorter, though, a little bit more succinct, and it's helpful to us. Paul, uh, Paul says in Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in all things. And then notice the reason. For this is pleasing to the Lord. Notice that. 
your attitude towards your parents. And by extension, your attitude towards your family reveals your attitude towards your God. And notice this too. Your position in your family is seen by God as an opportunity to worship. In in this moment, I can do something that is pleasing to the Lord. I want to do that. What does that show? That shows that your faith is genuine. That that you, you see this as an opportunity to worship your God. That you truly have received the love of God because now you must give love to those who are closest to you. Your family proves your faith for sure, that it's genuine and it's real, but it also proves another thing. It proves your spiritual maturity. It proves that you are grown up in your faith, not just that you've begun in the Christian life, but you've also grown up. You're, you're, you're getting closer to adulthood. You're, you're ready for responsibility. You're ready for marriage that is proven through your interactions with the family. How you handle difficult family situations, how you handle the difficult relationships between siblings, how you handle all of these things is actually a training ground, a skill of relationship that you are developing that you will use later on in your life. This whole series is the skill of relationships. You start with little relationships in your life and you grow through those relationships and your family is one of God's ways to grow you more like uh, more like himself than any other instrument in your life. Are you, are you ready to handle marriage relationships? Are you, are you ready to hand, handle conflict and seeking to resolve or bring resolution to conflict? Are, are you ready to take care of someone and provide for someone? It is shown in how you treat your family. There's this book on my shelf that you all are terrified of, at least if you're a boy. It's called, uh, it's by Vody Bauckham, and it's called uh, What He Must Be If He Wants to Date My Daughter. Just like, man, I'm afraid. I'm I'm married, I'm afraid, right? (laughs) Vody Bauckham is a very intimidating individual. What he must be if he wants to date my daughter. But it's a good thing. A, A father should have some standards. A father should say, hey, can you prove that you're ready to handle marriage? Can you prove it? Uh, my daughter brings a man to me, and the question I'm going to ask is, is he proven? Is he proven? Is, is he proven as a follower of Christ, Vody would say? Is he proven as a leader who leads like Christ? Is he proven to care for and desire children? Does he, has he proven himself in that? Is he proven as a protector? Is he proven as a provider? Is he proven as someone who is pursuing and, and, and experiencing victory and purity in his life? Is he proven in those ways? Listen, if you, if you go to some dad someday and say, well, I want to become those things, but you've got none of those things, that dad should say, probably not. Try again next year, right? A dad should say, show me the receipts. And you see the receipts in your home. That's where you begin to develop those skills. But we could also say, hey, there could also be a book written about the girl. What she must be if she wants to marry my son. Although that is not as scary to me for some reason. (laughs) Well, I would still say the same thing. I would say she needs to be proven. Has she done anything in her life 
to make you think that she's ready. Is she a proven follower of Christ herself? Is she proven in, in, in leaning into and rejoicing in the role that God has given her? Is she, is she proven as someone that, that humbles herself under her father with joy? Because that's going to be how she relates to you in a way. Is she proven in her parents' relationship? Is she proven in self-control? Is her mind under control? Does she have her will under control? Are her emotions under control? Is she proven in self-sacrificing service for others? Does she do anything for anybody else? Is, is she proven in her use of free time? Is she proven as a discipler? Does she make disciples? Because guess what? The, the best parent isn't someone that just knows how to carry babies around. The best parent is someone who wants to make disciples, who make other disciples. Those are the, those are the kinds of fathers and, and mothers we want. Is she proven? Is she pursuing to be a discipler? You should, you should demand it. You should demand that of the person you want to marry, and you should also demand that of the people that want to marry people that are close to you. Show me the receipts. Show me the proof. And I think you begin to show that proof in how you care for your family. You, you show an honor towards a woman in how you treat your mother or your sisters. You show an honor towards a man in your life in how you honor your father or your brothers or how you care for them or you provide them strength. You, you show what you are becoming through your relationships in your family. And this is basically what we're trying to say. We, we've said God gives you family for shade. God gives you family for training. God gives you family for rescue. God gives you family for proof. But this is all essentially saying this one little last point that I want to share with you. God gives you family for trajectory. God gives you family for setting you on a trajectory. Who will you be in the future? Who will you become? What will your skillful relationships look like 10 years from now. You will be who you are today becoming. And you are set on this trajectory by the way you interact with the relationships in your life, particularly your family. Turn over to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. This is not a promise. This is not a, a promise of great things to happen in your future. This is merely a prediction. Some people look at this verse and they say, it's a glorious promise. But actually, it's a terrifying prediction because it could go either way. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says this, Train up a child according to his way. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Who you will become is who you're becoming right now. You are being trained right now, today, in the relationships that you've been given, particularly in your family, but also in this church and in this youth group. You are becoming who you will be. And, and someday, your character won't be, it won't be like wet cement anymore. Someday, it will harden into the the, the characteristics that you've practiced and you've worked on and you've sharpened through these other relationships. And you will be hardened in those ways. 
Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is a prediction that's horrifying if you train yourself to be a fool all of your life. Do you really think you're ready for the highest relationship in the world, which is marriage relationship? Are you ready to be responsible in the family that you're in right now? Are you loving and praying for those people who are difficult in your family right now? Do you care and listen to your mom? Do you care and listen to your sisters? Do you try to provide strength to your father and to your brothers? Are you actually becoming something? Because you will be who you are becoming. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're you're probably saying to yourself, David, what if my family is lousy? Doesn't that kind of throw off your entire argument? What if my family is lame, weak, or worse, unbelievers? What about me? Yes, certainly, God's good gifts can be twisted to horrible consequences, right? Right? What was meant for shade becomes an exposure of evil, right? This family is just exposing me to all sorts of sin. What is being trained is actually every evil lust, every evil deed, every evil thought that's being trained in the family. What should have provided a rescue to you is actually a trap. That's what your family is. And, and all that is proved about you is that the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree at all. I'm just like my parents, and that's a terrible thing. And, and you are becoming hardened even to a worse state than your parents were. Yeah, God's good gifts of a family can be twisted for great ends. But even to you, if you feel like this is you and you come from a weak family or an unbelieving family, uh, you still have a responsibility and you still have a great opportunity. Number one, you've got to own it. You've got to own that your desires, your sin, are what is bringing all of these consequences of evil into your life. Your family is just revealing things that your heart is reaching out towards. But it's really your sin. It's not their fault. It's the sin inside of you. And all it does is prove that God is right, that God is accurate in how he assesses the family. But your calling, even if your parents are unbelievers, is is only higher, is only more glorious. You should seek to honor and obey your parents every day because it is a witnessing opportunity. Matter of fact, that's what Peter says in in 1 Peter. He, He says... If, if people, if unbelievers are going to accuse you of anything, let them accuse you of loving Christ. And you obey them as an act of service to Christ. And you're constantly obeying them, eager for an opportunity to share the hope that is within you. That's 1 Peter 5.13. But you also need to remember, those of you that maybe have weak families or unbelieving families, you need to remember this. God has given you a family that's better than that family. And a family that can be your family even when that family fails you. I I love Psalm 68, 5 through 6. God is a father to the fatherless, a judge to the widow. That is our God in his holy habitation. God causes the lonely to inhabit a home. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. But only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. God gives homes and a family, and that family is found in his church. But you need a family. You desperately need a family in your life. Your calling is always the same, to honor and obey as unto the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God,
Thank you for this moment that we've had to be in your word. And I pray that through this series of minutes that we've discussed these things, that you would etch desires into these hearts. Both a desire to confess their sin to you and the, the evil of their heart to you, but also to lean into their family and use their family for your purpose unto your glory. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.